Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Hi, JC. Howdy. I'm glad JC's with us. He's got, oh, you got your right to keep and bear arms shirt on. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. You know, I wonder if we'll get censored just because you have a picture of a scary gun on a shirt on your body. It's quite possible. Never know. You got a phone call? I, yeah, I do. <laughs> I didn't forgot to turn my phone ringer off. You know, when I was when I'm speaking, it's funny. Uh, it's always most embarrassing when uh, when the speakers phone goes off while they're speaking because you know people always stand up and say please turn off your cell phones and etc uh so uh <laughs> oops sorry guys embarrassing hey jc i tried something new today uh and or yesterday i tried to use facebook's program to create auto captions you know file you know mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense. Closed caption. Closed caption, right. So Facebook, if you post a video on Facebook and you push auto captions and the language, then it it's like a voice to text thing. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is uh, we always, always uh, texted your name as J-Z. Mm -hmm. You know, like Beyonce. Right. <laughs> And so I kept having to go back and and do the whole, no, J.C. One time they actually got it right. And I was wondering, how did I say J.C. that one time for it to not translate as J.Z.? Beats me. Because you don't, you don't strike me as being anything like J.Z. Facebook speaks hip-hop. His Facebook speaks hip-hop, something something anyway uh you know the hot news today jc is um the supreme court's opinion on daca hot news hot news we're well, gonna get sound like we should have a some kind of graphic hot news hot news it's the hot news segment. hot news the hot news segment the hot news segment is the supreme court's opinion on daca written by are you ready john roberts okay when you have an opinion that goes against the president of the United States and it doesn't need principle and you actually have to rewrite the Constitution. Roberts is your guy. Roberts is your guy. <laughs> now, I'm not going to go into the whole Gorsuch thing again and the whole gender and sex thing again. I think we've pretty much covered that in from all angles. But... Uh, Gorsuch didn't rewrite anything, guys, but Roberts has. And I I haven't, just in all full disclosure, I haven't had time to read the entire opinion. But anybody who wants to read Supreme Court opinions, uh, for me, do you know what the best way I find to read a Supreme Court opinion is I go directly to, I skip over the, the, the majority opinion, I go straight to the dissent, regardless of, who writes the dissent? I go straight to the dissent. Because I want to hear 
the I want to hear the dissent before I read the majority of opinion. Maybe that's just the hmm. the prosecutor in me because as a prosecutor, my job was to find the holes in the case and fill the holes in the case. Okay. So I like going and reading the dissent first to see what the disagreement was, and then I go to the majority opinion as a rebuttal to see how they respond to that. And i got to move my chair here. <laughs> Look, pulled muscle in my back. I can't turn and talk to you like I usually do. But So Thomas wrote the... Um, Thomas wrote the dissent opinion. Uh, it's, it's funny because uh, Sotomayor dissented in part and concurred in part. And I always, I always like those because that's like saying, you know, I agree, but I disagree. And Sotomayor's dissent was, uh, I'm sorry, the Supreme Court didn't go for, far enough in, in uh, establishing... Uh, damages to the executive branch. So, <laughs> anyway, leave it to Sotomayor to say, you know what, you didn't go far enough. So, um, anyway, we have the dissent written by Thomas, and Alito and Gorsuch join in uh, the uh, concurring the, in the judgment in part and dissenting in part. Now, here's here's the problem that I have. And again, I haven't read the whole opinion, so I just want you to see where this is. Roberts, in what I've read of the opinion, and maybe this is why the concurring in part and dissenting in part comes from Thomas Alito and Gorsuch, okay? If DACA had been a law passed by Congress, Roberts' opinion would be fine. But DACA is not a law passed by Congress. It is a regulatory rule created by the Department of Homeland Security under the command of Barack Obama. So I think I just want to read this part from, from um, his opinion so that you can see how this works. Between 2011, 2001 and 2011, Congress considered over two dozen bills that would have granted lawful status to millions of aliens who were illegally brought to this country as children. Each of those le legislative efforts failed. In the wake of this impasse, the Department of Homeland Security, under President Barack Obama, took matters into its own hands. Without any purported delegation of authority from Congress and without undertaking any rulemaking, the Department of Homeland Security unilaterally created a program known as Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. The three-page DACA memorandum made it possible for approximately 1.7 million illegal aliens to qualify for temporary lawful presence and certain federal state federal and state benefits. When President Trump took office in 2017, his acting Secretary of Homeland Security, acting through yet another memorandum, rescinded the DACA memorandum. To state it plainly, the Trump administration rescinded DACA in the same way that the Obama administration created it, unilaterally and through a mere memorandum. If that's the way it's allowed to be created, 
then that's the way it ought to be allowed to be rescinded. Sure. And that's what they're saying. And then Thomas says, today the majority makes the mystifying determination that this rescission of DACA was unlawful. In reaching that conclusion, the majority acts as though it's engaging in the routine application of standard principles of administrative law. On the contrary, this is anything but a standard administrative law case. And therein lies the problem. Once again, when you don't follow the rule of law, then you have a banana republic. You've got the president of the United States, you've got one president of the United States directing his administration to create rules and regulations, by the way, to be enforced as law by the executive branch when lawmaking is completely reserved to the legislative branch. People always ask me about executive orders. Well, executive orders are what they are in the executive branch. When they reach outside the executive branch, then you have a big problem. And that's what DACA did. DACA did, DACA, through the President Obama, through the Department of Homeland Security, started telling states and municipalities how to treat people here in this country who are not citizens. Now, for our libertarians who love the whole open border idea and citizens free to travel kind of thing, we're not talking about that. (laughs) I want to be very clear. I want to read this sentence from the opinion one more time. We're not talking about people just driving in and driving out, right? We're not even talking about people, uh, foreign people who are not citizens, buying property here and living here. We're not even discussing that. So don't even come to me with the whole, you know, people have an inherent right to travel and borders are fake and political or whatever, right? I'm not going to get into that. I want to read this to you. Three-page DACA memorandum made it possible for approximately 1.7 million illegal aliens to qualify for temporary lawful presence and, this is the key, certain federal and state benefits. You are conferring the benefits of citizenship on people who are not citizens by the force of law without law. May I point out here that there is now, with DACA, a contradiction, a confliction in law. Because Congress says that it is a criminal act to confer the benefits of citizenship on non-citizens. Punishable up to $10,000 in fine and a 10-year imprisonment for each instance. And so not only has DACA just simply created law that without being the lawmaking body, they're also contradicting standing law, which is not the role of the executive branch. (laughs) And Roberts, as Thomas says, and this is, this is what I got from it, from, from the part that I read, I was like, wow, you know, Roberts opinion seems very logical. It's, it's very 
correctly based on administrative law, if you just read it and you didn't know that DACA wasn't actually a law, then you'd be like, oh yeah, well this makes sense. The problem is, just like the Affordable Care Act, he has to go through these, it is a completely disingenuous presentation of, of law and fact. So out of he all- He has to know. Out he of has all, to know. Out of all the current sitting justices, how, how would you rank them as a threat to the Constitution? Do you, you know, people might find this shocking, JC. But the strictly liberal judges, I don't see as a real threat because they are who they are. You know what to expect from them, right? They're not hiding behind any closed doors. You can pretty much predict what they're going to do. Roberts. uh, And I, I would rank Roberts number one simply because he's the chief justice right now. And he holds so much authority. And he's... He's a liar. And 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 he's and, and I don't say that out of opinion, JC. I think the fruits of his actions actually prove that. The fact that and I'm going to keep going back to this as long as I live. The fact that Ro- Roberts wrote the majority opinion in NFIB v Sibelius, completely ignoring the fact that he called it a tax, not a penalty, and therefore it was lawful, but then ignored the fact that, it, that a tax must originate from the House, which would negate that particular uh, Affordable Care Act, because it did not originate in the House. And then, in the body of that majority opinion, buried in there so only the the legal professor the law professors and the legal geeks would actually see it and and frankly the legal geeks i don't know if they actually saw it or they knew to recognize it or what because i read scotus blog and nobody in scotus blog because they're the epitome of legal geeks even mentioned it but in the middle i don't know if you remember jc when i was actually reading Mm -hmm. that at the table well we were actually in the car driving down the interstate yeah oh were we yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and i was (laughs) My reaction was like shock. I was like, what is this? Robert says right there in the majority opinion, in the, in the typical case, we look to the states to refuse to comply with these federal Mandate. mandates. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing because I, you know, apparently I can't memorize quotes unless they were made before 1812 either, but uh, I don't have that part memorized. But he says... We look to the states to do this. Why? Because the states are separate and independent sovereigns, and sometimes they have to act like it. Now, that should be a groundbreaking revelation for our judicial supremacists. For the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States to make a statement, which is not even dicta, okay? So we have, like, lawyers like to classify things as important and unimportant, right? So when you're talking in a reading in a legal opinion, when the statements have direct relationship to the matter at hand, they're called controlling statements. 
But sometimes judges have a tendency to sort of wander off onto some tangent somewhere. And when we when they do that, we call that dicta, which means it's not actually controlling on the facts. But this statement about the states being sovereign and not complying with federal rules and laws is not dicta. It's right there on point. And so the fact that he, he, he knows that, J.C., he knows the state's authority, he knows the limited nature of the federal government, proves to me that he's a liar. And this is just bold and brazen. I mean, seriously, there's no administrative law here. Why? Because there was no law created. So, there you have it. All right. Apparently, I agree. Apparently, Jason. I was hoping you'd pick my guy. <laughs> pick your guy. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's. Thomas. Freaking Frankenstein's oh. Oh, monster. Yeah. Oh, you were talking. Yeah. So Roberts. number one yeah. is Roberts, right? Number one is Roberts. I would say, and this is probably going to, well, not shock people. Number two is Kavanaugh. Because in, in Kavanaugh. What well, because Kavanaugh carries that same stigma of Gorsuch, of he was chosen by the president and there was such a big fight because he was a conservative and mm. he was anti, you know, he was claimed to be anti abortion and he was going to be the one that overthrew Roe v. Wade and all that stuff. I line him up as danger number two because the because the conservatives don't know who he is. And so the tendency is to to cling to him when he's he's just like Kennedy that he replaced. He is not a conservative and he is nothing. They even called Kavanaugh when all that hearing was gone a Jeffersonian. <laughs> OK, so. If wow. you think Kavanaugh is a Jeffersonian, then then that that's why now you know why I think he's number two. Number three would be Thomas. Because Thomas wants to be quintessential conservative, but his love for the police state. So in those particular areas. In those particular areas, right? So, so when when it when it has to do with like Fourth Amendment. Yes. He's, yes. He's awful. He's terrible. When it, and when it has to do with states' rights, he's awful. So, uh, you know, when, you, when you're ranking people, uh, Roberts is generally awful. Kavanaugh is the next degree much lower, though, of generally awful. And then, Rob, and then Thomas would be awful in, in Fourth Amendment issues, uh, security of property issues, anything that has to do with police power, police power and state power. He's off on those. Alito. Pretty consistent. Yeah, but he's 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 like middle of the road. He's like lukewarm. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he goes with the flow most of the time. Gorsuch has been like ninety nine point nine percent with the Constitution yeah. so far. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and that's how I. We've had a lot. We've had a lot longer to look at some of these others. Tom, Thomas has been very glaring in the police state issues. Right. Roberts has been an absolute train wreck. Um, Ginsburg's almost always against the Constitution. But you know that about Ginsburg. But interestingly, a couple of there's a couple of the libs like, who is it? Sotomayor maybe or Kagan, Kagan or one mm -hmm. of those that end up. When it's First Amendment issues, mm -hmm. they're they're Sotomayor. more often on the right side. Yeah, unless it's religious. Yeah, 
So anti-religious. Right. So if it's free speech, it has to do with petition. It has to do with protest. It has to do with assembly. Uh, Sodomi. Um, but they attack Kagan. religion. Kagan is okay, but the enemy is religion. So you know that that's that's where they all jump off. Now Sodomayor is a lot like Alito on the other side. She's the she's the silent go with the flow kind of person. Mm-hmm. You don't really hear from her very much, but she's going to be. She's so, going to be the liberal. So probably side. Ginsburg and Roberts are, just, are like the overall train wreck. Yeah, like they're mm-hmm. they are they are a disaster. Yeah, the yeah. rest of them have their kind of little pet areas. Right. Uh, you say K- Kagan's going to be pretty well. First Amendment, down the line, First Amendment, like civil rights type stuff. Unless it's religion. Unless it's religion, anti-religion. And then Thomas is pr- pretty solid on separation of powers. Yes, yes, he's very, very solid. Very, very solid separation of powers. Very solid on separation uh, of powers. But when it comes to like police state matters, giving the state power to enforce, like like criminal, like in, in the area of crime, he's like, he's the law and order guy, right? Mm-hmm. He's like Trump said, I'm the law and order president. That's Thomas. So let police do whatever they want, FBI do whatever they want, military do whatever they want, any kind of police, any kind of state force, mm-hmm. uh, he, he's all for that. So very, not going to protect your Fourth Amendment, not going to protect right. your property, um, probably will protect your, sec- your guns, um, unless, speech, etc. Unless the government... Unless you it, can deem, deem the person a criminal. Right, right, right. Or danger, <laughs> a bad guy. danger to police Dangerous or guy. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how in... Thomas's dissent, it was sort of like a little vindication moment for me. Uh, He says, uh, DHS created DACA during the Obama administration without any statutory authorization, without going through the requisite rulemaking process. As a result, the program was unlawful from its inception. I mean, we've been saying that since day one. So it's it's kind of interesting. It's good to see that. Now, again, Thomas goes on to remark that it's just a mystery why Roberts wouldn't even address the fact that that the rulemaking process was never... I mean, we're, we're talking about double levels here of problem, right? You have rulemaking that replaces law outside the legislative process. So you don't even have the president writing an executive order, which would be, you know obvious you have an agency elected by no one writing the basis of an uh, you know of an executive order to be forced by law and so that's that's part of the problem and into fact that they don't even address this issue craziness now before you run off i want to talk about this i know you got to run on me can you can you give me 10 go more ahead. minutes oh uh, 10 no but oh you, please you, you go fast all right so I want to talk briefly on uh, what happens when the police go away. Police go away? Yes. Okay. What happens when there are no police? So we have right now the Minneapolis Police Department said they're withdrawing uh, from union contract negotiations, which I think is awesome, and I think that has a lot to do with what's going on. But I don't know if you've been following on Twitter or, or Instagram, um, there's a, a trend going on now called blue flu. The uh, Atlanta Police Department are not going to work. They're saying we're not going to show up for any calls in Atlanta. We're not going to do anything unless it's an officer down. 
And there is this huge... Yeah, I thought that would happen. There's this huge trend. It's spreading like wildfire across the, across the country, JC, mm -hmm. in these problem areas. Uh, a, a reporter ran into the uh, a Seattle police officer and asked him, are you guys going to go into the Chaz zone? And he just laughed and said, nope. You know, they're just, they're checking out. Right. And if they're not going to get... If I don't know why they wouldn't. Yeah, right, exactly. So it's called Blue Flu, and it, they do the hashtag Blue Flu. And then now the, the consequence is, what happens? And this is the question. What happens when police are gone? What happens? Now, I will admit to you that I'm, I'm talking about municipal police. So technically speaking, and I've, and I've said this on the air before, there's no reason for municipal police because you have a county sheriff. And a county sheriff has full jurisdiction in the city as well as throughout the whole county. So to have separate yeah. municipal police, but here's the thing, blue flu is not just about police. If the municipal police are go aren't going in, the sheriff deputies aren't either. Is that happening? Well, we haven't seen it not happen. Well, if, if I, I mean, we're seeing a complete absence of police presence in Atlanta now, you know, and the yeah. sheriff. I, I wouldn't check in myself into that if I were sheriff, the sheriff. Mm -mm. Okay, I'll go into the city and take care. I wouldn't. I'd do my job where I'm at. Like you right. guys figure that out. Right. I mean, why why would you send your officers in in this kind of hostile? What's, what's going on right now? Yeah, exactly. Because there's no, you know, there's no discrimination of between good cop, bad cop, somebody guilty, some somebody not. I mean, obviously there there's accountability issues, you know, uh, throughout police departments. We understand that. It doesn't mean every person there is evil. Every person there is bad. But the people that are doing what they're doing they don't make any distinction in that and i you know we see people in the chat room there are people in the chat room here from time to time they don't make distinction mm -hmm. every cop's a bad cop uh i i don't believe that i believe there's a significant problem in accountability that needs to be dealt with um you know but if they we go if they go friends. away then it yeah. then it it's fend for yourself right uh which ends up being survival of the fittest some people are okay with that but let me that, read. That, that's what you end up with. And this is what I want to give you. This is James Madison and Federalist 51, because you know that's my go-to source. These guys knew government. They knew philosophy. They knew human nature. And just, just to build on our thought, just for a few minutes while J.C. can still stay. In a free government, he says, the security for civil rights must be the same as that for religious rights. It consists in the one case in the multiplicity of interests and in the other in the multiplicity of sex. S-E-C-T-S. Yeah, S-E-C-T-S, not the other one. Sects. should pronounce that better. The degree of security in both cases will depend on the number of interests and sects. And this may be presumed to depend on the extent of the country and the number of people comprehended under the same government. This view of the subject must particularly recommend... A proper federal system to all the all sincere and considerate friends of Republican government. And since it shows that in an exact proportion as the territory of the Union may be formed in more circumscribed circumscribe confederacies or states oppressive combinations of majority will be facilitated. The best security under the Republican forms for the rights of every class of citizen will be diminished 
and consequently the stability and independence of some member of the government, the only other security, must proportionately increase. Justice is the end of government. It is the end of civil society. It ever has been and ever will be pursued until it be obtained or until liberty be lost in the pursuit. In a society under the forms of which the stronger fraction can readily unite and oppress the weaker, anarchy may as truly be said to reign as in a state of nature where the weaker individual is not secured against the violence of the stronger. And as in the latter state, even the stronger individuals are prompted by the uncertainty of their condition to submit to a government which may protect the weak as well as themselves. So in the former state, will the more powerful factions or parties be gradually induced by a like motive to wish for a government which will protect all parties the weaker as well as the more powerful. Right. So, when the police go away, Madison is saying, anarchy then is said to reign, and it reigns in a state of nature, where the weaker individual is not secured against the violence of the stronger. Isn't that what we're seeing in the Chaz? I mean, you have... Mm -hmm. You have them bullying businesses to, to pay money to them. You know, uh, the gardens are saying, people have gardens that say this, this food is only for black and minority people, no white people allowed. Yeah. So when the police go away, the weaker are no longer protected. Well, and, you, and it's, a, it's a mixed political state. Okay, so... When you use the term anarchy in, in, the, in the purest sense of a political system, just means right. a stateless right. system, right? Right. A anarchy is a political system with no, with no state. With no state, All right. right. Now, in that system, then you have, ver you have various forms, so the individual, individualism, where that it's up to the individual to protect themselves. That's where you end up with stronger versus weaker scenario if you're stronger if you're more well armed if you're more well if uh, more skilled with those arms right. you survive if you're the little elderly lady who's not capable of that uh, then the stronger robber comes takes your stuff kills you whatever so so then then comes voluntarism in the sense of we will unite together to help protect the little old lady so there's five of us who are good people who are skilled with firearms who are able to defend and we'll defend that little old lady will voluntarily contract to do that okay so where we are now when you look at Chaz you're in an intermediate state because it's it's a it's a it's a state within a state right, right. The, the outer state we have a system. We have police. So, and we then, have laws. We have right, rule of law. And, and then there's still there sort of one foot in, one foot out, still uh, are subject to the law, though it's not being enforced, right? Right. There's no sort of volunteerist system of, of the factions, which really right. <laughs> what Madison talks about, the sects, the factions that, hey, we've come together as a group, uh, the way you... You know the the guy, the the black guy that you saw beat the the stew out of the dude with the backpack. That's my backpack. You stole the backpack or whatever, uh, and he, he just beats the hell out, hell out of him in the street or, or chokes the preacher in the street. Right. So you don't have you, you don't have that. 
-hmm. right? That, so that doesn't exist. So when you, when you talk to people, you know, that I know who are anarchist in the voluntarist mm -hmm. vein, mm -hmm. right? That's what they talk about. This, as I said on previous show, is revolutionary anarchy, which means, which is stronger rules, period. So you have these revolutionaries, the, these rabid, hate-filled lunatics. They're, they're thugs and barbarians. And it's pretty much, I'll force you to do what I, what I want you to do. And, and that's the kind of system you have. It is well, survival of the, the fittest. And those are the kind of systems from which slavery itself is birthed. Right. So, you know, in that sense, the, the initial idea, it's where the sheriff comes from. Right. And the sheriff and the posse in that we then as a community, right, voluntarists, we come together as a community. We say, hey, this, this guy we elect is skilled, him. We right? Choose We've him. chosen him. We've chosen and him. And then here's the people appointed. that are going to help him. And he protects us. Right. Right. That was supposed to be the idea. Right. Okay. Right. Then you have police in the cities, add unions, add political con corruption, add lack of accountability. And that's completely corrupted. And now you have these problems. And then you have a mixture in that faction of good people and bad people. And then when you remove accountability, that group that you created to protect you can now, in some instances, uh, do exactly the opposite, right, which exactly. has created this situation. Then you have evil factions who have taken the facts, distorted them, magnified certain things, uh, and, and shared false a false narrative right. because they have another agenda to completely overturn the country and the system of government. So this is the mess that we're in and you have survival of the fittest in that place and they're trying to create pockets of that all around the United States in order to tear down the fabric of the republic. Yes. This is where we are. Well, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and end the show right there. Uh, I wanted to, to discuss that Briefly, just well, to give us something to talk about about by the what way, happens I've when the police well, go I've away. Told, I told somebody the other day who, who texted me about this um, and kind of where we're headed and what they're seeing. And I said, you, you need to um, build relationships where you are and defend one another and be prepared to defend one another. Right. Be able and prepared to defend one another. That's, that's kind of what we've, I guess you could say, devolved into. The system right. that we established is crumbling. Right. And so you're going to be to the point where, hey, we recommend to everybody. Because here's the thing. If you live in a place like some of us live in the cities and, and so many, so much, so a mixed population of ideas mm -hmm. and this sort of thing, um, you, you don't want to be in that fin for yourself. How are you going to defend against everybody mm -hmm. or some massive mob? You only have so much ammunition. So it really, it really um, lends to your safety to build coalitions, relationships, and groups in your neighborhood, in your community, and learn to and be prepared to defend one another. Absolutely, especially as you get the spread of the blue flu and yeah. things start, you know. That should be true depressing. all the time, though. Really. Yeah, but it should be true. But certainly in this case. Yeah, because there are times when maybe the people you selected to protect you just simply can't get to you. So you have to have a community come together. Yep. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, guys. We are so honored and blessed for your confidence and your love for us, your support. Uh, we will see you again tomorrow. God bless.